If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them once again to the book of Jonah. The passage for this morning is also printed in the insert of your bulletin as usual. We began this a study of this small book just last week. For those of you who are visiting, it's a familiar story uh, to most of us, if not all of us, even those of us who are outside of the church have probably heard of the story of Jonah and the big fish. Jonah is a book that, of course, bears the title of its main character, but Jonah is really not the one that I think we need to focus on. And I tried to establish that at the very get-go last week. Jonah is not the main character of this story. God is the main character of this story. Sure, Jonah makes these decisions... Decisions that we looked at last week are just decisions that flow from one who naturally runs away from God, right? And that was one of the first things that we looked at last week, is that we are naturally those who run away from God in some manner. Some of you may have been running from God for years. Some of you have simply run from God in small ways this past week as you have given in to your flesh. We run away from His Word. We run away from His desires, His demands, His presence. But we were reminded last week that in spite of those decisions that Jonah makes, bad decisions, God's compassion pursues this man. God's compassion pursues us. And that's a wonderful thing for us to be reminded of. As natural runaways. For all of you in this room, even those, as I said, who don't know and love the Lord Jesus, God's compassion has pursued you. It is pursuing you. In fact, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus, God has pursued you into this place. That's why you're here. And so the question came to all of us, those who are running in blatant rebellion or those who are running in small ways every week. What will we do? What are we called to do? We're called to trust. We're called to trust and obey. Whatever He says, wherever He calls us to go, whatever His demands are. And of course, the story of Jonah is that he's a failure. He's failed to do both. And we saw that last week. And so where we find ourselves today, in the second chapter of Jonah, in this next chapter of this story, is a call to return. It's the beginning of Jonah's return, and it's the beginning of all of our return to the Lord. So listen as I read, this is Jonah, we're going to start with the last verse of chapter 1, a verse that actually begins the second chapter in Hebrew, but for some reason our English translators years ago divided the chapter in this way, but chapter 2 actually begins with verse 17. So listen as I read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, for you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. There are many different ways that we could come at this passage, this next chapter of Jonah's story, but I want us to focus really as I studied and thought about this passage this week, I really want us to just focus on one primary truth that I think this passage reminds us of and encourages us in, and it's this. The return to God begins and ends with God. Let me repeat that. The return to God begins and ends with God. As much as we love these kinds of stories, this isn't a story about a man who is down and out who is crawling out of his circumstances, pulling himself up by his own bootstraps. No, this is a story about a God who is at work. God is the focus of this story. And I think we can see this as Jonah desires, at least for the first time, we get this glimpse of his desire to return to the God he was running from, I think we can see this in three ways. And so kids, for those of you who are diligently following, we have that one truth, the return of, to God begins and ends with God, but we have three sub-points, so three little points that you need to listen for. We can see this in three ways, and the first way I think is this. His sovereign mercy. His sovereign mercy. Mercy. I want you to notice. I want you to marvel anew at God's sovereign mercy in the story of Jonah. See, if the story of Jonah were a TV miniseries, where we stopped last week at the end of verse 16 is a fitting, cliff hanging scenario. 
Right? We talked about this story last week. The preacher on the run has been tossed overboard. As his fate lies unknown, the men on the boat, they seem to be transformed, or at least there is the beginning of transformation. Their frantic cries to, to whoever would listen, to whatever God would turn its ear to them, have been replaced by vows and sacrifices to Yahweh, to the one true God, as he has shown them that he is the Lord of the sea, that he is the Lord of the earth. It's an amazing story. It's even greater irony that these pagan men who have been spared give praise to the God who has spared them. A further hint that God's sovereign grace is intended to go beyond the nation of Israel. That God's sovereign grace is for the nations. But what about Jonah? Is there mercy left for a rebellious runaway prophet? Or is he just getting what he deserves? End of story. We could end it that way. Jonah ran from the one true God. He's tossed overboard. He gets what he deserves. I know that this story is familiar to so many of us and that makes it a struggle for us. It makes it a struggle for me to really feel and to wonder at what is taking place. But, but think about it for a moment. We come to the end of verse 15 in chapter 1, and there's peace in the water. We come to the end of chapter, or verse 16, and there is peace on the ship. But we can only assume that even after verse 16, there is no peace yet for Jonah. See, I don't think we should so quickly just jump to verse 17. I'm not so sure that verse 17 comes so quickly after verse 15, especially after what we hear come out of Jonah's mouth, after what we hear him praying. We need to feel Jonah's state A man who was seemingly in control of his destiny just an hour ago is now powerless, bobbing up and down in the Mediterranean Sea. And yes, the the scriptures tell us that the raging has ceased, but this is not a tranquil pond. He's still in the deep. He is alone. He is treading water. And his salvation is... He's watching it sail away. I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch off and on. I don't know if this says good things about my parents or not, but I used to watch off and on the TV show Magnum P.I. Remember that, Tom Selleck? And I remember one episode just just fascinated me. It was an episode, and I don't remember the circumstances of it exactly, but it was an episode by some, somehow Magnum P.I., uh, was having flashbacks of his dad teaching him to tread water for long periods of time. And so his dad would plop him out in the ocean, and he would time him, and just for hours and hours, his son would tread water. And I remember doing the same thing as a young boy, going to my neighbor's pool and setting my stopwatch and seeing how long I could tread water. 
and getting to the point of exhaustion. We don't know how long Jonah was in the sea. But it may very well have been for a long time, treading water, alone with his thoughts. No hope. This prayer that he prays in chapter 2, it gives us every indication that he was bobbing in the ocean to the point of things really getting bad. All your waves and your billows passed over me, he says. Weeds were wrapped around my head. If there was anyone who was ever in need of mercy, anyone who was ever helpless, here is one. Maybe Jonah could swim. Maybe Jonah couldn't swim. We don't know the circumstances. What we do know is that grace and mercy in the most unlikely of places is going to come to Jonah. And it's going to come in the most unlikely of forms. What did the scriptures say? A fish was appointed. A fish was appointed. And there's something right there in that picture for us, I think. And it's this, that grace and mercy doesn't always look like we think it ought to look like. Certainly we think, surely this is not grace and mercy. Another ship would be grace and mercy with a warm blanket and a hot cup of tea. But Jonah says through this prayer that he prays, there's no doubt that for Jonah, the fish is his deliverance. The fish not only saves him from drowning, but it's, it's beginning to restore to him the very thing that he was running from, the presence of the Lord. And this is, this is, this is one of the beautiful things about this story. Not, just, not that it was a fish, but that God's sovereignty trumped Jonah's rebellion. Once again, we see an example of this. As we looked at weeks ago, This is the truth of any runaway's return to the Lord. It's God who initiates. It's God who pursues. And therefore, it's God that receives the glory. It's God's sovereign grace. A return to the Lord begins and ends with God. Now, we, we think about this story and we think, a fish? Really? A fish? If you read on the book of Jonah, if you read the commentators, you read those who study the scriptures, there's lots of folks who want to wax on about the impossibility of a fish devouring a man, the impossibility of a fish that big being in the Mediterranean Sea. Others want to defend the fact that no, this was possible, that there was oxygen that could get to Jonah in the belly of a fish enough to keep him alive. There's all sorts of opinions about this. And it's all very interesting, but I'm going to contend that it's not all that helpful. And in many ways, it doesn't matter. Because any way you slice this story, it isn't normal. This is miraculous. 
This is outside of the realms of nature. This is not easily explained away. God does what he pleases, whether that be through ordinary means of a ship rolling alongside of Jonah or extraordinary means. This wasn't the first time. Think about the scriptures, those of you who know God's word. Think about all the times that God has used creatures. Be a fun thing to do as a family is to look back at all the creatures that God has used. Back in 1 Kings chapter 17, there was Elijah and the ravens. These birds, these crows that brought Elijah bread, that brought him food. There was God's command to the lions as Daniel found himself face to face in a den full of them. God's command to them to not eat. And then one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites as a kid, Numbers 22. The story of Balaam's donkey. need to read that to your kids if you haven't. Numbers 22, the story of Balaam and his donkey, where the Lord gives Balaam's donkey speech. And he speaks to his master. So we can't explain that away. We don't need to explain that away. God is God. He does what He wills. He does His bidding. And Psalm 104, 27 says of the creatures of the earth, they all look to Him. And He gives them food in due season. And God actually chided Job for this very thing in Job 39 where He says, Is the wild ox willing to serve you, Job? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? See, what a wonderful picture we have of God's sovereign grace and mercy in the life of one of his children and over all of his created order. This is the God of the Bible. This is your God. These are the lengths that he will go to for those who are his It may not seem like it, but God is showing Jonah his sovereign grace and mercy. We spoke about last week how this was an intervention of sorts. God intervening into the life of his child for his good with something incredibly terrible and incredibly awful. And the intervention is only continuing this week. If the storm of terror wasn't enough, now Jonah is going to be essentially exiled. Jonah is going to be exiled. He is going to be entombed without fellowship, without light, without the comforts of the world. He is alone with his thoughts. And can you even imagine the existence Dark, smelly, excruciatingly hot, and uncomfortable, and yet good. Because this is his deliverance. This is God's sovereign grace. And the work that God is doing in Jonah, we we see it beginning to come to fruition in the belly of the fish. 
Return to God begins with His sovereign grace. It's true in our lives as well. It's true when we're lost in our sins, we're hopeless and we're willfully choosing a path of destruction. Many of you remember those days and God's sovereign grace intervened in your life and set you on a path of life. And it's true for His children. When we wander from His paths and His precepts, He calls us back home. Maybe not the way we think He ought to call us back home, But he calls us back home because Paul declares in Romans 8, that great passage, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Jesus says in John 10, I know my own and no one will snatch them out of my hands. This wonderful doctrine of perseverance, the Lord has shown you a love that will not let you go. However you've run, or whoever in your life is running right now, and you're grieved because they're on the run, remember, a return to God begins with His sovereign grace. Pray for that. Marvel at that. Trust in that. Well, that covers the first verse. (laughs) They all won't be that long. We come to this prayer, this the bulk of this passage in Jonah chapter two. It's a significant slowdown, I think, from the fast pace that we've been on through the, the story. Suddenly we're confronted with this poem. After all this gripping action, it's essentially a psalm. It's a psalm that gives us a glimpse of of Jonah's heart and what God is beginning to do in the heart of Jonah, but it also gives us a glimpse, I think, of something we can learn about prayer, something we can be taught about prayer. And the first thing I want you to notice as we kind of transition from the sovereign grace aspect of the return of God. Just notice the fact that finally Jonah is to the point where he's willing to pray. I mean, that's a good thing. The captain was trying to get him to pray on the ship, and he was unwilling to do so. So just the fact that he's willing to address God is a good thing. The Lord is bringing him to the end of his rope, and his prayer begins to reveal this brokenness and this desperation that he has felt in a greater way than he's ever felt before. And it's here that Jonah begins to show us this proper response to God's sovereign grace. He worships as he prays. I just want to walk through the prayer just a bit. Draw your attention to it as we walk through what Jonah says and the things that he highlights as he delights in God's deliverance, as he delights in his sovereignty. Verse 2, he Describe Sheol. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol is this word that's used in the Old Testament to describe the place of the dead. And we might say that indeed Jonah has received this near-death experience. In some ways, Jonah's prayer is a foxhole prayer. 
He's panicked. And he's crying out to the only one he knows who can help. And in verse 3 and 4, he acknowledges the fact that it is God who cast him overboard. It is his waves. Notice that. It was the Lord's waves and billows that were washing over him. God sent these things as part of his sovereign grace and mercy. Verse 4, he laments that this was not what he desired, even though this is what he was pursuing. He wanted to be rid of the presence of God, and yet he needs the presence of God. He longs for the presence of God. And then verses 5 and 6 describe this descent that really began way back in chapter 1 of verse, verse 3 of chapter 1. There you remember it talked about he went down to Joppa. And then in verse 5 of chapter 1, he went down into the ship. And now in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, he is surrounded by the deep. He descends to the roots of the mountains. And then finally, he goes down to the land where the bars are going to close upon him forever. You can almost see Jonah sinking, literally and figuratively, sinking. Weeds Weeds wrapped, seaweed wrapping around his head as he sinks to a watery grave. No doubt Jonah has come to the bottom of the barrel, we might say. This acknowledgement of his plight and God's sovereignty in this whole journey leads him to this exclamation at the beginning or at the end, which we'll talk about in a moment, that salvation belongs to the Lord. But before we get there, there's another aspect that I want us to see, not just that God is working through these circumstances, but I want us to see what this prayer can teach us. A return to the Lord begins and ends with God. It begins with His sovereign grace, and it continues with His Word. That's the second thing, the second sub-point. It continues with his word. For this is, this is a prayer of Jonah that is not just steeped in desperation and in need for deliverance. It is a prayer that is steeped in the very words of God himself. Some of you have likely picked up on this. You hear it when you read it. You hear it when it's read to you. There are allusions to the Old Testament Scriptures all over this prayer. Parts of Psalm 3, 33, 42, 50, 69, 88, 118, and a host of others show up in this desperate prayer of Jonah. Just look at the prayer for a moment, and I want to do an exercise with you. I've taken some of the phrases, not from this prayer, but from other places in the scripture. And I'm going to read them to you with where they are. Listen as you look at the prayer. I cried aloud to the Lord, Psalm 3. Out of my distress I called on the Lord, Psalm 118. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark, Psalm 88. All your breakers and waves have gone over me, Psalm 42. I have said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. Psalm 33. 
The waters have come up to my neck, Psalm 69. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, Psalm 50. Salvation belongs to the Lord, Psalm 3. So that's beautiful. All these phrases that Jonah is piecing together are the richness of God's revelation that he's already given to his servant Jonah. And why is this the case? Well, number one, because Jonah is one of God's people. These psalms were part of his experience. They were part of his life. They were part of his worship. And so when he was trying to find words and language that would describe what he was feeling, he went to the very words of God himself. Bring it up because we need to do the same thing. I think there's something here in Jonah's prayer about prayer that teaches us how to pray. The Lord's not only given us this pattern for prayer in the Lord's prayer, but he's given us the very words of his servants. His very words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when you don't have words to adore, use his words. And when you don't have words to adore, or when you don't have words to describe the desperation of your heart, find the words that describe your heart by way of his word. You see, his return Jonah's return comes by way of the living Word. He loves the Word, God does. He loves to see it residing in you. He loves to hear you crying it out to Him. And so use it. As you return to Him, do so through His living Word. One more thing for us to think on for a moment. Jonah is making strides. He's making great strides. But I don't think he's there yet. He's returning to the Lord. He is. God's sovereign grace has intervened. He's using the living word to express his thoughts and to return. But ultimate salvation is not come yet. There's one thing that's noticeably absent in this prayer. It's, it's any acknowledgement of Jonah of his sin. Did you notice that? There's no acknowledgement of Jonah's rebellion against the Lord. And then there's this verse 8. Verse 8. See, verse 8 seems to reflect... As I read it, it seems to reflect some of the religious superiority that Jonah struggled with at the very beginning of his journey, at the very beginning of his story. It seems to be still lingering. I mean, I can't help but think as he confesses verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, that he had those sailors in mind those sailors on the ship that he left behind, those pagans who threw him overboard. I can't help but think as Jonah is praying that they, like the Ninevites, they forsake their hope with their idolatry. But I, I will sacrifice. I will have vowed what I will pay. You see, he had no idea that as he was plunged into the depths, 
He had no idea that God's compassion and mercy had extended to these sailors. And I think it's evidence, it's lingering evidence that Jonah still doesn't fully get the extent of God's grace. To use a phrase we used last week, it still hasn't sunk down into the marrow of his bones. It's getting there. But he's a work in progress, as we all are. I think you'll see that this becomes more evident next week as we move into chapter 3. But for now, the Lord is content with Jonah's declaration, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord releases the fish from his task. And the fish is glad to give up his passenger But ultimately, this is where it's all headed. This is where it all ends. Ultimate salvation. Jonah, the preacher of repentance, sentenced to, de- sentenced to death in the depths for disobedience, finds mercy. And he's delivered. And after three days entombed in a fish, he will now announce mercy to a people undeserving. But he's not the end of the story. He's only a sign of things to come for Jesus. The preacher of repentance will be sentenced to death for the disobedience of others. He will travel voluntarily to the place of death, to Sheol, to the belly. He will be entombed for three days in order to accomplish mercy and grace for us. For a people undeserving. It's his work. A return to the Lord begins with his sovereign grace. It comes through his living word. And it results in ultimate salvation. In salvation belonging to the Lord. And so the call to you this morning is to run to what He has accomplished. To marvel at His sovereign grace in your life. To use His Word to return to Him for your good and for His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Great Father in Heaven, we thank You for these truths from this story. We thank You for Your servant who in so many ways is a mirror of us in His rebellion in his forgetfulness, in his reluctance to let the wonder and the marvel of grace consume him and and seep down to the very core of being. And yet even as we make that comparison between Jonah and us, we rejoice that there is a greater comparison to be made. That ultimately Jonah's plight reminds us that salvation is of you from beginning to end. You have accomplished it. You have pursued us in your sovereign grace. You entombed your only son for us that we might have life. And now he sits risen and seated at your right hand, ruling and reigning for our good. And oh, how we long to be instruments in His hands, used for His glory, for the good of Your church. And so I pray, Lord God, Holy Spirit, that You would take these truths, that they would motivate us 
to live by the Spirit, to live in greater awareness and greater dependence upon your grace and your word. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us, for revealing yourself to us by way of your word. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.